My name is Wes Pogue. I am the youth pastor here at First Colony Christian Church. Our pastor is speaking at a youth retreat all weekend. Uh, his Snapchat stories have been uh, blowing up with all kinds of crazy stuff he's been doing. Uh, I'm sure he's suffering for Jesus even as we speak. Uh, so he'll be back with us next Sunday. So in the meantime, you get me. That may or may not be a good... You have time now if you'd like to get up and leave. Uh, I'm kidding. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. And as we begin... Uh, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13, we're going to meet a guy named Levi. Levi is going to be a rather interesting character, uh, not like character in a story, but just an interesting guy altogether that I think we can take some good information from, but more than that, that we can take some life principles from. Uh, Levi will become the gospel writer Matthew, and how we go from what we see in what we read in Mark 2 to becoming the guy who will write the gospel uh, I think is what we need to zero in on today. And so as we look at Mark chapter 2, I want to uh, just be looking at some of the things that he is labeled and then some of the things that maybe uh, we can see for ourselves in the midst of it. So let's look at Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous sinners. As we pick up in Mark 2 this week, last week we saw Jesus healing the man who gets lowered down in the roof, the, the paralytic that is uh, healed, not only because of his faith maybe, but more importantly because of his friend's faith. And we see Jesus interacting with them. And I don't think when we pick up the story of Levi that this is Levi's first encounter. I don't think this is Levi's first opportunity to hear Jesus speak or to see him do anything, I think what's happening is Levi is going about his normal everyday business and something changes. And today I really want to focus in on one of three aspects on how Christ moves in our lives. And I think the biggest thing that we want to picture first is that Christ comes and speaks in our lives in the midst of the everyday. In the midst of the, I'm getting up, I'm going to work, I had to get an Egg McMuffin on the way to work kind of day, that in the midst of that, Jesus comes in and encounters Levi. I think Levi has heard him speak. I think he knows about the guy who was lowered down into the roof. He certainly knows about the, the healings and the demon casting out. and He knows about all these things. And he gets up as any other day, and he gets up and he goes to work. Now, work for him is a little bit different. Work for him is working at, at a... <clears throat> at a tax collecting booth, but not taxes like IRS, taxes like a toll booth, like we would pay uh, driving on Beltway or whatever, only the way his job worked was he kind of sold out to the Roman government. And so his job was to collect these tolls as he went, uh, get what he was supposed to send to Rome, and then kind of squeeze off the top anything else he could. And most of the tax collectors at this point were a little corrupt, 
read a lot of corrupt. They were not doing what they were supposed to be doing in the sense of treating their friends and brothers and relatives well. Uh, and so he likely has this bad reputation. He likely has this opportunity every day to steal money from people and probably takes it. And so he gets up and in his everyday life, Jesus comes in and totally invades it. Just shows up and begins speaking into his life. And it's rather interesting in my life, in my understanding of this, is that he leaves, when he says, follow me, he leaves a very lucrative job. He leaves something that's going to take care of him a lot. And I think we begin to understand that in the midst of his everyday life, he's got to look at Christ's priorities. One thing I love about this story is that Levi isn't called to clean up before Jesus talks to him. Levi isn't called to fix himself up before Jesus can have anything to do with him. Levi isn't called to be right and pure and good. Jesus just goes up and starts conversing with him like he's a real normal person. Regardless of his past, regardless of what he's taken in or taken from others, uh, in the midst of his everyday life, Jesus comes. I'm reminded of a guy named King Saul in 1 Samuel 9. With my students this week, we've kind of been talking about Samuel uh, and talking about Saul. And Saul is out and about doing his everyday life, and this time he's out looking for donkeys. Not my everyday life, but his everyday life. And as he's looking, he, he gets further and further away, and he looks at his, his partners with him and says, you know, I think we probably need to go back because they're not going to be worried about the donkeys anymore. They're going to be worried about us. And they said, you know, this is not a bad idea. So 1 Samuel 9, uh, they start looking around. They meet this guy named Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, who was God's spokesperson for all that was going on. And as he gets there, Samuel finds out that Saul is going to be Israel's first king. Saul doesn't know that. He's just living his everyday life. And he goes and says, we have a question. Uh, do you know where our donkeys are? <laughs> no introductions. It's just... We know you're the one that speaks for God. Do you know where our donkeys are? Actually, yes, they've been found. And by the way, you're the first king of Israel. What does that mean? He doesn't know. Uh, in fact, when he goes back, he's talking to his uncle. His uncle says, where have you been? We've been looking for the donkeys. Yes, we know they're back. Where have you been? Well, we were talking to Samuel. What did Samuel say? He's the voice of God. The donkeys have been found. He doesn't even mention that he's the king and then moves on from there. Now, the next several chapters, we see Saul taking on this kingdom, and he's less than well-equipped to do so. But in the midst of that, it's the very beginning step that continues to blow my mind, and that is that in the, the everyday life, the step-to-step, -step, everything is normal, that's when God invades. That's when God changes his life. That's true for Samuel. That's true for Saul. That's true for a number of the biblical people. And that's especially true for Levi. Levi, if we remember from the text, he's called a tax collector and a sinner. How is he going to get from that point to being the gospel writer? How is he going to get from being a man that everybody looks at and goes, do we have to have him? He's like the uncle that nobody talks about at Thanksgiving dinner. Nobody wants to be around this guy. Do we have to have him? And then we add to that that if he's a toll collector on the Sea of Galilee, um, he's going to interact with fishermen. Four of the disciples are fishermen. 
And you can kind of see this going. Just keep on walking, Jesus. Just don't, don't talk to him. Don't, oh, you're talking to him. I mean, you kind of see this playing out. And then he goes, follow me. And the, the fishermen go, okay. And, you know, those who are listening to the podcast, there are a lot of facial expressions that went with that. They're elbowing each other. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Because at this point, they can't fathom why Jesus would want a tax collector. And if we'll be honest, if we were in their shoes, we couldn't either. We couldn't figure out why Jesus would do that. These guys aren't going to get along well. I think when we think about the disciples, when we think about Jesus, we think about Robin Hood and his merry men, and they're all gallivanting about in tights and whatnot and having a merry old time. I don't think that's accurate. I think they're going to grind on each other and, and beat each other up at times and they're going to uh, drive each other crazy at times and then through all of that Christ is going to be refining them and bringing them about to the point that they're going to be the holy people that he wants them to be but what I love about this is there is not a moment where Jesus says okay you got to get some things straightened out first you got to get some things figured out before you can follow me he just walks up to him and says follow me and Levi says, okay. And he changes his priorities. He changes his, his lifestyle. He changes everything because Jesus is more than just a guy. I think all they know him so far as is a good teacher. I think all they know him so far as as a doctor. I mean, think about it. Every time people come to him, he heals them. It sounds kind of doctorish. And I think they know him as one who can cast out demons. They don't know him as the son of God. They don't have any reason to follow him. And yet he says, follow me. And he says, okay. I want you to, to picture this. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, about this time of year, has kind of a, a blue-green color to it. Sea is kind of a misnomer because uh, we have lakes in Texas that are bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, in Texas... Everything's bigger, even our seas, apparently. But the Sea of Galilee, when you're walking by, it's, it's, it's beautiful. You understand why Jesus is walking past this and why he's teaching and why he's doing life around these people. And it's in that and in every day that he meets them. And so the next thing that I, I get out of this that I see is just fascinating is what Levi does next. Look at verse 15. He reclined at table at his house, Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Think about that for just, I think, I think several days have passed, maybe a week, maybe two, where Levi starts talking to his buddies. And he's like, you know the, the, the teacher guy that's been walking around? Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Well, he talked to me. And they look at each other like, do they know about that stuff you do on the weekends? Yeah, he knows that. D does he know about what you do to all the people? Of yeah, he knows that. And he still wants to talk to me. And I can't, I can't understand it, but there was something about it. It was just an amazing encounter. And you can kind of see his buddies going, you think he'd talk to us like that? You think maybe we could, we could know him like that? Because... That sounds different than the way everybody else in Israel treats us. I want to get to know this guy. And so Levi says, hey, 
I'm having a barbecue at my house Friday night. No pork ribs. I mean, we are Jewish. But uh, <laughs> we're having a barbecue, and uh, hey, why don't you come over? Great. We'll be there. Should, should we bring any? No, just, just come. I'll get everything. Uh, the Lord's been good to me. I, I've collected a lot from the people around me. Um, and so he brings everybody in and says, Hey, Jesus, why don't you and the guys come over? We're going to have a little barbecue. No, not pork. Uh, and we'll have some time together. And so they hang out. And Jesus is sitting near the head of the table. And they're all are sitting. They're kind of laying the way they would eat. And it's not like, let's go to Wendy's and have lunch. This is like a full-on banquet. This is, they've called people, they've catered. I mean, they brought people in. This is a big deal. And so they're, they're all leaning on their arms and kind of eating together. And you can kind of hear this outside. I mean, it's one of those parties where the cops show up and, and they're like, what's going on? It's really loud. And no, 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 this is a, this is a, we're just having a good time. Yeah, that's what we're worried about. No, look, there's Jesus. Oh, okay, it's Jesus. And they move on. Um, but I want you to understand something. When Levi encounters Christ, he can't help but tell other people about it. When Levi encounters Christ, he goes and he tells people what's happened. And all that happens after that is he looks at himself and he goes, man, I don't deserve any of this. But there's something about that guy. And his friends hear it. And they look at him and they go, man, we were here and the barbecue was good and all. But I've never had an Israelite talk to me like he did. I felt like I had value. And so I think about Levi and I think about my own faith. And I think about the faith of the people around me. Levi's faith was, was so faithful and so contagious. It wasn't new and perfect. It wasn't all that that it was supposed to be, but it was growing. So he looked around and he said, you've got to have this. And I can remember as a student when I came to Christ, I had older people in my life who were like, you know, I'm so excited for you. You're so uh, enjoying this moment of faith, but there's going to come a time when it's just going to kind of fade and it's not going to be as exciting as all of this. And I looked at that person and I don't remember if I said this out loud and if I did, I'll probably have to repent later. I looked at him and I said, I don't want to be you. I want my faith to be one that, that other people want to look at, not me, but God. And I think Levi, though he has a great pair of jeans, is looking at this going, I want people, making sure you're with me, I want people to know God or Jesus in the midst of this. I want them to have that kind of encounter. And I wonder if in our own lives, if maybe you've been a believer for five or 10 years or 20 plus years or longer than that. And I won't list anything longer than that. And I wonder if we still have the same joy, the same magnetism when it comes to drawing people to Christ because we are excited about our faith. I wonder if we've gotten to the point where that person who spoke into my life said, there'll come a point where it'll be faded and boring. I wonder if we need to cry out as David cried out in Psalm 51, create in me a new heart. <coughs> Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I wonder if we need to cry out like that. Because I don't think our faith is meant to be something that's stagnant. I don't think it's meant to be something that we keep to ourselves, that we light it under a bushel. Something that is pointing to Christ. And by the way, it doesn't have to be that we have it perfect. Levi wasn't perfect. In fact, he was very far from it. But one thing he had 
He had a real encounter with Christ that caused him to want to share that with other people. So they're having this crazy party, and they're all hearing this stuff, and then they leave. But before they do that, we meet another group called the Pharisees. We haven't talked much about them in the book of Mark so far. But this group of people, when they came on the scene, we want to make them the villain. We want to look at them and go, oh, the Pharisees, they are so wicked. No, they're really, really not. Uh, If we look at it from our standpoint, they want the the word of the, the scripture to be held strictly. They want it to not be tampered with. They want it to be uh, not used for somebody else's agenda. There are other things that they do poorly, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the Pharisees, on one hand, really wanted Scripture to be upheld. I look at that and I think, you know, if that was part of being a Pharisee, then I want to be a Pharisee in that regard. I want to have the scripture upheld highly in my life and in the lives of the people around me. And I think Christians who have that view on scripture, not that we deify it and worship it, but that we keep it as as God's word to us, then that drives us in a direction that I think stays consistent with faithfulness over centuries. Now, what the Pharisees did after that, though, was they started looking at themselves and they go, you know, I think we can kind of define this. And we can put some rules and some regulations and some things around it so that everybody does it all the same way. Those of you who've seen the Lego movie, this is where uh, Lord Business is trying to get everything to be just so and you can't change it up. And those of you who haven't, rent it now, thank me later. Uh, it's, it's worth seeing, okay? Now, there's this point throughout the Lego movie where he keeps putting on this crazy glue trying to get everything to stop being changed. And they put up all of these strict ways of doing things. Well, it kind of stifled the creativity of the master builders, and we lost... How do we get into Lego movie? How does it have to do with Christ? It really does. Because so many times the Pharisees mirrored the exact same thing. It has to be just so all the way through. And they set up these burdensome rules and regulations and then expected everybody to follow that. And so Jesus, from here on out, will address those burdensome rules and say... You have these rules, but you're missing the heart of the matter. And so these guys show up. On one hand, we're kind of curious, what is this Jesus guy doing? And then he walk, they walk in, and I think part of it, they're upset that they weren't invited. And I think the other part of it is, they're looking at it going, oh, does he, he knows who he's eating with, right? I mean, that's, that's one of them as if their sinfulness can somehow infect him, as if their sinfulness, their wretchedness, and, and see, they labeled a whole bunch of things that kind of fit into this category as anything that was ritually unclean. Well, that could have been anything from something small, like I have a rash on my arm, to I didn't wash my hands all the way, to I committed some heinous crime. And so all of these sinners were lumped in together And the Pharisees were looking back going, I don't want anything to do with you because you will pollute my faithfulness and my religiosity. And here's this rabbi, teacher, healer, doctor guy. They haven't gotten to son of God yet. And they look at him and they go, that's what I thought. He's one of them. That's what I thought. He's not really a good and righteous man because if he were, he wouldn't be hanging out with. 
And then he hears about it. And he says something very interesting. He says, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. The, the ironic thing is the one who is most self-righteous and thinking, thinking that they've got it all together is totally missing the point of Jesus being there. And so they're not going to hear it. And they, he's going to hang out with the sick people as if to bring some kind of healing to them. And so I think through Mark chapter 2 and I think through this, this segment of God's story and I wonder where I would fit. I wonder if I would be the Levi in this story who realizes his sinfulness and has an encounter with Christ that causes him to speak into other people's lives. I wonder if I would be one of the other people that maybe Levi spoke to and came in and heard it for myself. I wonder if I would be one of the Pharisees condemning and shaking my finger at those who are less righteous than I. Not thinking that Christ could save them and change them. Instead, they must measure up to some moral standard that I have instead of what grace is given in Christ. And then I think further about this guy, Levi. Matthew that he would get to the point where he could write an entire 28-chapter gospel story of Christ and of the four be the one who does the most referencing back to the Old Testament, talking to his Jewish friends, talking to people that aren't in that circle anymore. He's wanting the story to get bigger and more well-spread, and so he says, hey, there was this point, and he starts lining out who Messiah is over and over and over the tax collector, now gospel writer, has been changed radically not only from his position and his service to now someone who wants everybody he can tell to know the story. And so he uses the context that he has to tell them. <clears throat> Please don't miss this in our own lives. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. As we encounter Christ, as we encounter the risen Lord in our context, then we are to bring that understanding to the context of the people's stories around us. And share that story in such a way that we use everyday life. I speak Lego movie because 90% of my time is spent with students. The other 10% or less is spent sleeping. Generally less. Why? As soon as I said that, some of you went, right. and then you smiled, and the rest of you were like, I heard about that movie. Is it really worth it? Yes, go watch it. <laughs> Hear me when I, when I say this, not from a, somebody standing on a stage pointing my finger and, and shaking it at you. Not from somebody who has it all together, but from somebody who desperately wants to live my faith in front of the people around me and wants to encourage you to do the same. It's not going to look the same as you live it out, though going to look different because you have a different sphere of influence. It's going to look different as you live it out in front of your family and in front of your friends. But the idea here is that if we are living as people who have been bought with the blood of Christ, then it should demonstrate itself in multiple ways. If it is that you could think back, there was a time, oh, I could think back many, many years ago, and I could think back, oh, that was my conversion. 
Think back to that conversion, that faith and repentance, that faith that you placed in Christ, that repentance that you chose, that at that, weren't you different, excited about this faith that you have, excited about this Christ who is changing you from the inside out, who would take someone like me and give salvation and grace. You wanted people to know that. And maybe it's been a while and you need to, to think back on that. Or maybe you're at that point where you're, you're around people who are like that and you're wanting to be like that yourself. Please, please, please don't hear guilt and condemnation and shame in this. But a word of encouragement. Choose this day to serve. But you don't know what I've done. I don't need to. Christ does. He knew what Levi had done, and he still came to him. That was a long time ago. I don't do that stuff anymore. Why not? It's kind of boring. I would encourage you, if boring is how you describe your faith, to examine your faith in light of the scriptures. Again, not shaking my finger because I'll be honest, there have been times when it's been boring to me. And generally when it's boring to me, it's because I've neglected uh, to pray. I've neglected to read my scripture. I've neglected to be around other believers. Or I got my feelings hurt around other believers. That never happens. And in the midst of that, I started going, you know, I can put that off. I can put that off. It got dry and crusty and boring and I looked around and I went this doesn't look like the Christian faith in the scripture and not that it's always an emotional high it's not, it's not supposed to be but when lived well there should be an element of joy even in the midst of struggle and so I just want to encourage you if you are a believer today come to the point of asking the question is my, is my faith contagious? do people want the Jesus that is present in me? Or have they been turned off by some idea of what he should be and we've lived out something else? Again, today I want to encourage you. Live a faith that's real. And that may mean that you're struggling and you say, my heart hurts, but I know Christ is real in the midst of it. That could also be, I'm really excited. Don't let it be that somebody will come and whisper in your ear, oh, that will fade. And if it has, as I said earlier, pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, Lord, my God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you are today, but Christ wants to encounter you in the everyday part of your life today. Will you let him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come before you today.